Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, good morning. How you guys doing? You glad to be here? I'm so glad you're here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us today as we continue through our summer series to the book of Philippians. So a couple of quick updates for you as we get into our gathering today. If you're a first-time guest, so glad that you're here. Listen, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey if you're, or if you're joining us online, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. Our mission here at City Church is to help people find their way to God from where they are. And we do that by practicing the way of Jesus together in Boulder. And so wherever you are, our desire is simply to meet you where you are and help you take some next steps, whatever, whatever that might mean for you today. But really, really glad you're here. Um, how many of you guys enjoyed community night last Wednesday? How was that? It was wild. Apparently it was so wild that everyone came that night and didn't come today. So there you go. That was that's a joke. It's, it's okay to have fun. It's summer. How many of you guys enjoying the last little bit of summer before school and all the things kick back up? Or if you don't have kids, it's just like... A normal week for you and, and you're not uh, uh, trying to keep little humans alive at home. My, my family and I, we went uh, camping Friday night just to quick get into the mountains and come back. And one of the things I love about camping is you lose signal and you just kind of have to unplug. It like forces your hand, even if it's just for 24 hours, you just like have to unplug. And so we're out there with the family. We've got our new little dog, Harley. She's 12 weeks old and so fluffy. And we're like, all right, let's stick her in the wilderness and she ha- see how she does. And she did great. We took her paddleboarding for the first time. And Lady, our, our dog that passed away a couple of months ago, like she was well-seasoned, right? She was trained and did great. So she'd get on a paddleboard and lay down and just hang out and enjoy the paddleboard vibes. Harley hasn't learned that yet. And so she fell off four different times on both sides of the board and finally figured out that, this, that the only safe place is right in the middle. Um, and so that story has nothing to do with today. I thought I'd just tell you how my weekend went. So how was yours? How was it? Um, the reason I, I say that is because uh, earlier this week we were in our city group. Uh, I have a group that meets on Mondays in my home, and we read this passage from last week in Philippians 3. Um, and if you missed any of this series coming up, uh, uh, you can go back on our YouTube channel, our podcast, pick it up. Will Johnson, uh, um, he was the one that gave the message last week, and he crushed it. Let's put our hands together for Will. It was so good if you missed it. Man, it was so, so good. You guys have that slide for me? Philippians 3. Beautiful, thank you. So uh, this, this passage is what we were reading uh, um, in our city group this week. And when I read this, I'll share, share what conclusion came to my mind. So Paul, uh, this is what, what Will talked about last week. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what he's talking about, and Will talked about this last week, is, is Paul's kind of in this space where when, when he met Jesus, it's like he found something worth losing everything for. 
Like he came in and encountered with Jesus in such a way that the rest of his life was, was so secondary, it seemed like, like rubbish is the word, or, or, or trash, something that's just not even worth considering compared to this amazing life that he has found in Jesus. And so that's the one thing that he's talking about, this one thing. And we were talking about it in City Group, and I was like, man, I really like the idea of being able to focus on one thing but I don't feel like, like I'm in a space where I have one thing. I feel like I have a million things. And as a result, I feel like none of them are going very well. You guys ever feel that way? I mean, it's really weird, that summer jam of like, you try to do some good things and escape with the family, but there's all these other things going on and you got work and you got side jobs and you got kids and you got your own personal development and what, I don't know what's on your list, but man, when I read that, I was like, I wish I, 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 wish I was in a space where I said, man, this one thing I'm after. But on Monday, I just told our group, I feel like I've got a million things, and it's not going very well. And so last week, Will talked about, and Paul gave us, you can kind of go backwards if you want and read in Philippians. The Bibles, by the way, in the seatbacks in front of you are gifts to you. There's also journals with the book of Philippians in them out in the lobby for you. Those are also there for you to use during this series. But last week, Paul was in the space. He says, man, when I look at my life, I count everything else as secondary because of how amazing it is to have a relationship with Jesus. And he uses all these words, like this one thing he's after. It's like he wants to gain Christ, to be found in him, to have this righteousness that comes through faith, so that he can know him, this relational aspect of knowing God, having his power in his life and becoming like him. There's all this amazing stuff that Paul finds in Jesus. And he says, hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing on. I got this goal in mind, this one thing in front of me. And it's connected to a relationship with Jesus. Now, what has hit me this week that I want to share with you is I think Paul is drawing on something that Jesus talked about a lot, but I want to give you a picture of it in Matthew 13. So Matthew 13 on the screen really fast for you. This is Jesus in one of his parables, and, and he talks a lot about the kingdom of God, what Jesus came to introduce now and moving forward, that it's available to any and everyone that would trust in Jesus, this amazing rule and reign of God over our hearts, over our minds, over our lives, over our homes, over our cities, over our neighborhoods. This is the invitation of Jesus. He says, the kingdom of heaven, not something you get to when you die, but something that's right here in front of you if you will embrace it. The kingdom of heaven is like, and Jesus did this a lot. He tried to help us get a, get a handle on what this amazing invitation is to life with Jesus. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is so amazing, it's like you're, you're walking across a field and you stumble upon something. That word in the Greek found is not like you, had, you were out there with your metal detector, you know, doing your thing and looking to finally retire. That's not what's going on. This is like you're just kind of doing life. Maybe this is a shortcut through a field, going through someone's yard, which you're not supposed to do, right? Don't walk through people's front yards. It's like etiquette, guys, right? But let's just say, going through a field, and he, he kind of stumbles upon this treasure. And it's, and it's beyond anything he could possibly ever imagine getting his hands on. I mean, I mean it's just like mind-blowing. And he has all those feelings that you probably have. You're like, oh, you know, you're like freaking out. You're like making sure no one else is watching. And you bury it. And then you run and you sell everything you have so that you can buy that field in order to attain the treasure that you found. 
It's like, right? You're not even considering the rest of you. Like, man, whatever. Everything in my life, let's just get rid of it because this is way better. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that. That what, like, you might not even be looking for it, but once you stumble upon it, once you realize that it's there, you find something worth losing everything for. It's amazing. My kids love to treasure hunt while we're camping. And so we're at this campsite, and, and uh, there's like quarters stuck, and, and pennies and dimes, all these different coins, like stuck in the cracks of a log. There's like logs around a campfire, and someone has just been like sticking coins in, in the cracks of the log. And my kids, they like started to look around, and they just keep finding all of these coins, and then Grayson finds like oh, a, a fishing weight, and that's part of the treasure too. And then we're on the lake, and oh, there's a shiny you know, uh, lure over here, and so we're gonna bring that. And so all these different types of treasure, and they're pumped about it, right? Like just this, wow, there's things out there to discover and find. And that's cool, and that's exciting, but Jesus is saying, like, imagine that you found something worth losing everything for. I don't, I don't know what that would be for you, What would it look like to abandon literally everything that you have in your life to say, that is what I'm after? It's like like you had no idea it was even there, but when you discovered it, whoa. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, there's probably a moment when when you can look back on your story and, and this really resonates with you. And it's, it's not always like this. Sometimes it's progression for people depending on your story. But for me, when I was 15, I was chasing all kinds of different hidden treasure, stumbling through life, stumbling over all kinds of things. And I'd find something here and there and it'd bring me a little bit of delight and a little bit of attention and a little bit of joy. But then it wouldn't deliver long term. And over and over again, I'm stumbling around in fields looking for something to satisfy. And then at 15, someone introduces me to Jesus. And I stumble across this treasure in a field. I, I, it's been there the whole time. It's been available the whole time. But then I finally realize it's there and Jesus changes everything. Everything I've been looking for in my entire life up to this point, it turns out Jesus had something better. And odds are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've had a moment or moments like that where you, where you discovered this treasure and it was like, whoa, God knows me, God loves me, God's aware of my brokenness. Jesus died for my sin, to forgive me of sin, to make me right with God, to restore me in relationship with himself, with myself and with others. I mean, this is amazing. And then if you're also like me, you you go to sell everything and you start doing life and then you you forget to go dig it back up. (laughs) You, You ever been there? You're like, I have this amazing treasure. And I also have meetings all day Tuesday, so we'll get to that treasure tomorrow. (laughs) And there's this unique thing of, I don't think this is a moment in time where you discover the kingdom of heaven, like, oh, wow, there's this treasure, and then you just kind of stop being enamored with it. I think it's a constant discovery. Like every day, you and I have the privilege of stumbling over the treasure that is in Jesus and all that that brings to the life that you and I are living, or you and I can keep stumbling through life over all the other little distractions in front of us. You guys tracking with me? And so Paul, I think in this letter, right, what he's really been getting after, he's like, man, I stumbled across Jesus. It was there the whole time, I had no idea. And it changed everything for me. And my question for you is, is has that happened for you? Like, have you found that thing worth losing everything for? Or 
Have you just been stumbling through life? You know, there's some good things we stumble over. I was thinking about it th- th- this week. Um, I stumbled over my relationship with my wife, Danielle. Like, like was in horrible, had, had terrible relational patterns, and, and honestly, mo- most of the relationships were like functional gods in my life. Like, I was looking to relationships to satisfy a deep need and a deep longing in my life. And so they always ended terribly. They were just poorly executed, constantly crumbling under the weight of me trying to make them a functional God. And then finally, my, the life just like, it just implodes. And I'm like, I am done with relationships. Like, God, I clearly have some dysfunction here and I need to learn to trust in you. So I'm done. I'm, I'm just like not going to do it anymore. And then one day I stumble across Danielle, this treasure hidden in a field. And she's singing a song by Colby Calais. And I just melt. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, oh. And, and I, like, she's been there the whole time. And I, I used to lead worship for, for our, our youth group uh, at this church that we were on staff at. And so I'm like cleaning up after it. And one of our friends is like, hey, you should go up there and sing, like just messing around on the microphone. It's like karaoke night after church, but not really, you know. And she's, she's up there singing and I'm walking through and I'm like, and I literally, I think, trip over something, right? In the process, I'm like, oh, this girl can sing. And then um, it turns into not just being captivated with this person, this treasure I didn't see before, but all of a sudden, over and over again, I'm like, wow, I'm just constantly being awakened to this treasure that's been in front of me. And there's some times that you and I stumble over things that are real gifts and we get to treasure them. That's great. And Danielle has been that consistently, and I'm grateful for that. But she's not Jesus, right? And what I found in Jesus has allowed me to put her in the proper place in my life. She's a treasure that that deserves to be valued, but she's not God. And she's not meant to carry the weight of God in my life. That's crushing to another individual. So whatever it is, whether it's a relationship or it's a career or it's status, we all have these things that we're stumbling over, and sometimes they're good things but they're not worth giving our lives to. Not in the context that Jesus is talking about. We just sing this song, Better Than Life. I don't know if you guys are paying attention. One of the reasons that we sing the songs that we sing is sometimes we have to kind of get our minds and our hearts to a place of truth and reality, even when we don't feel it. Like, I don't know if you walked in, like, just enamored, stumbled over the treasure of Jesus this morning, and you're just coming here because you're just so full of joy and gratitude and the love of God. I mean, it's just changed your life, and it's amazing, and cold brew's great, but it doesn't get you there. It's all about Jesus today. Like, maybe you walked in there. That's wonderful. Way to go, you. But if you're like normal people, you probably just stumbled over everything else trying to get to church, and you're just here. And so then we sing songs to remind ourselves of truth. So let me just kind of go back. I'm not going to sing it for you, but let me go back to the song we just, we just sang, the, the, the first two verses. Love so great, it taught my heart to beat again. Now, here's what's interesting. Like, like, if you've been following Jesus for a minute, you stumbled across the treasure, you've been there, and you're excited, and then you kind of just get distracted and numb to how amazing that treasure really is. Love so great, it taught my heart to beat again? Really? Is that, is that where you are this morning? God, your praise will ever be upon my lips? Really? Because I got some other things that came out of my lips <laughs> earlier this week that weren't exactly praise. I, I give it all to you. There's this, this posture of surrender. Hands held high. I surrender everything I have. Yeah, except for that, Jesus. Okay, you can have this hand. 
And oh, yeah, what about that? Hold on, hold on. Wait, I didn't, I didn't realize that was on the table when we were singing. Was this just a song, Jesus? We don't really mean it. At your feet, I'm finding everything I am. Okay, yeah, uh, and, and my Instagram reels and what people think about how my job is going and the car I drive and the clothes that I wear. And I mean, I'm finding everything I, that I am kind of in you. You see, so what are we doing in these songs? We are trying to bring ourselves back to the treasure that we have stumbled across in the field. Where these things are true when we allow it to be in our lives. And then your love is better than life. I mean, I mean, honestly, just, just the scope of your week, because this is not true. There's been many moments when I did not live as though God's love was better than everything else in my life. The things that caused me a burden or that were stressful or anxiety or the things that were just distracting to me this week, I elevated those things as more important. And there's moments I'm constantly coming back to this treasure in the field. So I, I give you all of that because what Paul's going to do today in our text is come back to that treasure in the field and bring us back to living in that reality. So listen, you don't have to be an extroverted like eight on the Enneagram, three on the, three on the Enneagram, like wherever you are, like, like you don't have to, to be as expressive as I am when we start talking about Jesus in order for this to be true of your life. But the parable holds true that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that we've stumbled upon. And my encouragement for you today is there's gonna be plenty of opportunities to stumble this week, but what would it look like to stumble upon Jesus every day, to go back to that field, to dig it up again, and to dig it up again, and to find the life that is truly life that Jesus is talking about. So let's go to Philippians 3, verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. This is just in context. This one thing I'm after, I'm running the race. So let those of us who are mature think this way. So that's all of you, I'm, I'm disqualified, right? I don't, I don't fall into that mature category, so I'm out. A couple of you are with me. It's a joke, guys. I could have done it the other way and called you guys immature, but I didn't do that because I'm trying to be loving. Anyway, let those of us who are mature think this way. I want you to pay attention over and over again to how often Paul is dealing with the mind. When it comes to spiritual formation, we talk about this a lot, that our mind influences our heart, which influences the external pieces that we see. And so he's constantly dealing with the spiritual formation of the mind. Not information, but formation. Information alone doesn't lead to transformation, but it is a big part of what we think about reality, what we think to be true, influences how we live. So let those of us who are mature think this way, this one thing. What is, the, what is this way? It's that Jesus is worth losing everything for. That the one who gave up everything for you, when you turn around and let that be the sole focus of your life, not Jesus like top of the priority list during my week, but the center of my life that everything else finds its meaning and significance in. It's not that my career doesn't matter or that my marriage doesn't matter, or my kids don't matter, or all of the other things in my life don't matter. It's that Jesus being the center of my life influences everything else. Think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And what he's talking about is minor things. He's not, not like big theological issues, but he's like, man, if you have some things in following Jesus where you're trying to figure it out or you're not sure where it lands, he's actually really confident that God, the Holy Spirit, and the scriptures is going to reveal to you what it looks like to live this life out. So like, you don't need me to know the will of God. 
You don't need a city group facilitator to know the will of God. It helps to have people around you to reinforce the things that are true because you and I are so good at forgetting about the treasure in the field and we got distracted doing a thousand other things and then we forget about reality. So it's good to have reminders. But he said, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of God inside of you. You have the scriptures as authority for your life. You can know the will of God. But... Let those of us who are mature think this way. It's interesting, that word, I don't know what you hear, like when you think of maturity, you know, if you just immediately start to disqualify all the people that, that can't, you know, help but snicker at silly dad jokes, or, you know, like, like my kids love to make fart jokes all the time, it's just funny. So, like, sometimes they get me, guys. Sometimes we're trying to have a moment, me and Danielle, you know, we're like, oh, come on, potty language and all that stuff, and then sometimes they'll make a joke, and I just crack, <laughs> I just can't hold it together. I'm like, well, I lost that moment, the parenting, so... That was really funny, dudes. Well done. So what is maturity in this space? Well, it's kind of interesting because it's a, it's a paradox. Because Paul just literally said that he doesn't have it all together. And so our definition of maturity in the world is like, you got it all together and you're a great like, way to go, you. You're the model of how to live. He says, actually, I don't have it all figured out. I'm just running toward the goal. I'm leaning on Jesus. And so for maturity for Paul is the space of humility just being honest with our brokenness and ourselves and the need for formation, and also this, com- this genuine commitment to the way of Jesus. It's like, man, I'm pressing on. And so he said, hey, those of you who hold this view, lean in. Now, let's go to verse 16. He says, uh, um, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, earlier in this series, we talked about your citizenship. If you want to go back and check that out in, in like uh, chapter one as we were walking through it. But he's talking about the, the kingdom of heaven and, and like how Jesus has made you new, adopted you to a new family. And so he's saying, hold true to what we have attained. There's something that you already have that you need to keep coming back to. So let's go back to the field. There's this treasure, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you have stumbled upon. Life in Jesus, formation in Jesus, now and forever, a mission to give your life to, a purpose to find yourself in, a relationship to find life in. Jesus called it a well of living water, filling you up and spilling out of you. He says you have something that you've got to continue to hold on to. There's this treasure in a field that you forgot about. Go back to it. You're like, perfect, all right, Monday morning, I'm back, Jesus, you're my treasure, and then by 10 o'clock, you've had meetings, and someone stupid at your work has totally distracted you from the life in Jesus, and so it's constantly coming back to holding true to what you have attained, as in go dig that thing back up, it's still there, it's still active, don't miss it. One of the analogies we use often, and I think we have to come back to it today, is I want you to imagine that you are walking down Pearl Street, and you're going to go grab some lunch after church, maybe at uh, Bar Taco. They just released a new lobster salad, I heard, that sounds pretty amazing. So maybe an oyster taco, all those delicious things that they have. So you're going to go, if you want to take me to lunch, you're welcome to today. And, and so you're, you're heading to Pearl Street. I'm with you, apparently, and we're going to Bar Taco, and you're going to buy my margarita. And as we're going there, you know, it's really cool. They have that little pay app thing where you can kind of like share it all on the app, and then someone can pick up the tab. I'm just saying, in case you were wondering, that exists don't have to be awkward. I don't even have to ask you to pay for my lunch. Anyway, so you're there, and you leave Bar Taco with me, and I'm very grateful for that you bought me lunch. And then we run into none other than Elon Musk on Pearl Street, seeing his, he, he's leaving the kitchen, his brother's restaurant, and then he's just, you know, it was a, apparently an amazing lunch, not as good as ours, but it was good for him. And so then he's just feeling generous. He's got his wallet out. There's a line of people, and he's handing out $100 bills, just 
That's because that's what you do. And then, uh, um, not, not Tesla's because that was hard to carry in his pocket, but $100 bills, right? So he's there handing out $100 bills, and you just, you're like, well, let's get in line and pay for Drake's lunch. That'll be great. So we're there, we get in line, and you and I get up to the front of the line, and then he looks at you. He doesn't look at me, which I'm, I'm irritated about, but he looks at you, and he sees something different in you than anybody else in the crowd. And instead of reaching into his wallet and, and pulling out a $100 bill, he pulls out his checkbook. And he signs it, and he leaves it blank, And he says, you do whatever you want to with this. And you and I skip happily down Pearl Street together to go discuss God's will for this plan, (laughs) right? And so so in this moment, Elon Musk hands you, for no apparent reason, other than you're just super special, a blank check. And I want you to imagine that you take that check, you put it in your wallet, you put it in your purse, and you live the rest of your life with this blank check from Elon Musk for the rest of your life, in theory, you are like one of the most wealthy persons on the planet, right? I, I mean, it just in that space, you have access to an unbelievable amount of resource, right? But I want you to imagine that you never cash the check. You just hold on to it. So in theory, you're wealthy, but, but functionally, you never tap into the things that are available to you. Now, while that might be a crude example, I want you to understand that Jesus wrote a check with his life not just to forgive us of sin, but, get, but to give us access into his kingdom and all of the riches and all of the power that is connected to the person and the work of Jesus. And so listen, friends, when you pick up the scriptures, when you pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you look at the story of Jesus and you just start reading the way that he talked about life, the way he talked about a relationship with God. And you realize that that's all for you. That all of that is available to you. But I think one of the struggles is that we have this check in our pocket. We made a decision to trust in Jesus. We we stumbled across this treasure in a field and we're like, this is amazing. And we stick it in our wallet. We stick it in our purse. And we live the rest of our lives confident with the access we have to what Jesus has promised and never taking advantage, never drawing from that which has been made available, never going to dig back up the thing that we sold everything for. That is what he's getting at in verse 16. Let us hold true to what we have attained. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have access to all the life that is in Jesus. And listen, this is not exempt from a hard life, a difficult life, and struggle. But it is absolutely an incredible life with Jesus through those things. And he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You, you have any, any people in your life that you just look to as examples? Like, like, like you just look at them, you're like, man, I want to be like them. Like, like and it, it probably different categories of your life. When you think about marriage, when I think about marriage, I look at Ralph and Shirley here, and I'm like, I want to be like them when I grow up because they're amazing. 
And then you look at people who are following Jesus, you're like, man, I wanna, I wanna be like them. I wanna pray like that person. I wanna, I wanna be bold like that person. I wanna love like that person. I wanna be parents like that. Or you have all these different models. So he says, hey, join in imitating me, which is a pretty big claim. It's one thing for you to have role models. It's another thing for you to say, hey, you should do what I do. That's, that's a pretty big claim. But Paul is confident. He says, hey, everything you see in me, as I'm exercising this out, you should do what I do. And listen, his call, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. He's got two other guys and other people that he's saying, hey, Timothy, Epaphroditus, these, these are people worth modeling your life after. So here's my question for you. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, like, like who, who's, who's ahead of you that, that you're looking to to learn from? Like in your spiritual journey and then all things, again, if Jesus is the center of your life and it, it's affecting your marriage and your career and your relationships and your singleness and, and, and your hobbies and, and, and all the different pieces of your life, who is it that's ahead of you? They're like, man, that, I'm trying to learn from them. Who is it that's beside you? Right, you look around in your city group and the people that you're living life with, and you're like, who, who is it that's beside you kind of on the journey, running the race with you together? And then I would also encourage you to look, hey, who's behind you? Who, who is it that God has placed around you that you have the privilege of not only modeling but investing in to help them follow Jesus? This is a consistent posture that we see in the scriptures, but then here's what's interesting. He says, keep your eyes focused. Why? Because we can assume, and we're going to see it in just a second, that there are plenty of examples that pull us away from life in Jesus. you got to keep your eyes on the right things. Why? Because there are plenty of other things that look good, that like, hey, I want to go that way too, and they don't lead to life with Jesus and his kingdom. And it's hard because they're not all bad things. That's where it gets tricky, right? So he's saying, keep your eyes. Why? Because you've got a feed on your phone that your eyes are also touching. And you got people at your work and you got people ahead of you in your career and you got people, neighbors with, with the house and the picket fence and the 2.5 kids. Well, in, in Boulder, it's like a condo with, you know, uh, a dog. <laughs> that's, that's actually what, what you get here. Well, whatever it is, um, the space of, hey, who's in front of you, behind you, beside you? Keep your eyes. And, and this word, walk, that's one of Paul's favorite verbs over and over again in his letters. He loves the word walk, and it means relationship. So they're walking according to the example you have in us. Not like, I mean, yes, it's a pattern of behavior, but it's more than that. It's a relationship that they have that influences how they live. It's one of his favorite examples both to, to use in a positive and a negative manner. So on your own, you could go read Ephesians, I'm sorry, Galatians 5, for example, and see how he contrasts the two places of walking with God or without God in our lives. And so verse 18, check it out, what he says next. He says, for many of whom I have often told you, as in he's, he's had to issue this warning before, many, as in a lot, who I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, like as in this is heartbreaking to Paul, like massively, think, think about the things that break your heart both good and bad. There's, there's like good tears, and this is going to be something that's breaking his heart in a negative way. And I now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So his encouragement is, hey, stay focused on, on, on this treasure that you found of walking in line with Jesus and his family and all of that life. Why? Because many, his heart is broken, are walking 
as enemies of the cross of Christ. So, so it's like this, there's this fork in the road that he's giving us. There's really two paths. He said, hey, there's, there's this walk with Jesus, and then there's this other walk that many are taking. And on surface value, I kind of read this, and I, I, it's kind of confusing. Like, who, who are these enemies? Because he doesn't actually say in this space. And one of the interesting things that I think we see here is that he doesn't say enemies of Jesus, because he already talked about those people. He says these are enemies of the cross of Christ. And what he's getting at is there are people who have claimed to follow Jesus who are now walking away from what it looks like to follow Jesus. So this is not an issue of theology. This is an issue of ethics. This is an issue of character. This is an issue of how they're living. They are claiming one thing to say, yes, Jesus is God. This is not an issue of theology, but how they are walking. Why are they enemies of the cross of Christ? Because the cross, Matthew 16, 24, this is where Jesus shows up and he says, anyone who wants to follow me, come to church on Sundays and you'd all be good. Anyone who wants to follow me, give a little bit of your money, pray when you need something, it's all gonna work out. Anyone who wants to follow me, me, take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. And central to following Jesus is this invitation of the cross to die to ourselves, that we lose everything for the sake of knowing Jesus. And this part, he says, they're not digging that. Enemies of the cross. I love the idea of Jesus. I'm just not down with the cross part. I don't really want to give up anything. He could have said enemies of Jesus, but that's not who we're talking about. These are people who are claiming to follow Jesus, but they're not living like it. And he says his heart is broken. As a pastor, someone, these are people that are clearly near and dear to him. In another letter uh, that he writes to Timothy, he says this, a similar thing. He says that, hey, my, my coworker Demas, someone who's really close to me, on his team, helping plant churches, he says the love of the world has overtaken his heart and he has gone away. He's left me. And that, that's who Paul is talking about here, not, not just Demas, but people that have said, yeah, I love the idea of Jesus, but I'm still gonna do my own thing. And the best example that I can think about this, again, this is not an issue of theology, but a practice, which is kind of uncomfortable if we're just being honest, as in, this is not just a, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Cool, congratulations, your life is made new, but there seems to be this tie of a theology that goes past our minds and it actually changes our hearts and forms our lives. And the best example I can think of is, is uh, from the ninth century, the, the, the Knights Templar, where during the Crusades, which happy to throw rocks at, the Knights Templar would be baptized, which is a public identification with Jesus, right? You go under the water, you come back up, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the old me is dead, Jesus has made me new. And when they would be baptized, they would hold their sword out of the water in order to communicate, Jesus, you can have all of me except for this. Right? Because we're going to go murder some people in your name, and we know you're not really down with that. So you can have all of me, Jesus, except for this. And I think, uh, maybe it was a year ago, two years ago, we, we talked about having some honest baptisms on a Sunday. Like, hey, next Sunday, if we all got together and had some honest baptisms just like the Knights Templar, what would it be for you? What would you hold out of the water? I mean, I, I just am imagining this space, you and I going under the water, and like, what is it that we're just like holding up? Like, what is it for you 
that, that is, a, is a struggle when it comes to this following Jesus thing. Like, hey, Jesus, you can have all of me except for that right there. Except for, maybe, maybe it's a relationship that you hold up. Maybe it's, maybe it's some identity. Maybe it's, maybe it's career. Maybe it's wealth and possessions. Maybe it's your status and what people think about you. Maybe it's a phone <laughs> that you hold up. Jesus, you can have. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe, maybe it's some future dreams that you're holding on to. And what is it for you that, just in a moment of honesty and transparency, you're like, Jesus, you can have everything but that right there. And, and maybe for you, it's, it's one thing. And, and maybe you know that one thing. Maybe that one thing is, is the thing that you're just struggling to surrender. Or maybe it's a million little things. But what is it for you and I? Because it's this invitation to, to walk according to the example that we had before us, or to walk. And he goes on, check this out, verse 19. Their end, this is heavy language from Paul, their end is their destruction. As in the life that they're choosing, it's going to bear fruit. That you can only put all of the weight of a relationship with God on a relationship with another person before it crushes them. You can only put all of your significance in your career until it doesn't work out. You can only put all of the weight of whatever you're hoping in on other things in this life until they can't hold it anymore and destruction is on the other side. And Jesus says, you're looking for life and I've got it for you. It's right here. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly or their appetite. Not just, we're not just talking about physical. It's about the appetites. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I don't want you to miss that. Minds set on earthly things. You ever, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, maybe you look at your story, or maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus in the room, and you, and you look at your story, and you like look back at moments when, where you're like, man, I can't believe I ever did that. You ever been there? Yeah, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I acted that way. Has there ever been moments, because there's definitely, this is true for me, where I kind of took glory in the things that were shameful in my life? Or there's a moment when I, when I would boast about how many girls that I could be with. I would boast about, about something significant in my life. I would boast in things that are shameful. And I look back now, and I'm, and I'm like, wow. I can't, I can't believe I did that. So there's a space, there's a way of walking and living where we actually find glory in our shame. You're familiar with that, probably. Something better on the other side, with minds set on earthly things. The priorities of the world around you. But verse 20, he goes on, and he says, but, the transitional point of his, his conclusion here, but, friends, our citizenship, our identity, is, it's in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is here, it's now. And our citizenship is in another place with another king and another kingdom and another set of values, another way to live, another way to be human. That's where it lies as a Jesus follower. And from it, we await a savior. Now listen to the language. A savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, our humble bodies, our weak bodies, right? Not, not, not as in something wrong, necessarily. Jesus is not going to do away with, but rather this is weakness that we experience. To be like his glorious body. This is talking about Jesus and his resurrection. 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So he uses a lot of language here, a lot of royal kind of power language in order to Philippians, they're they're a Roman colony, right? And they're saturated in an environment that says, you have a savior. And that savior is Caesar. And he's the one that can bring transformation. He's the one that controls your life. He's the one that's bringing good news. And, And Paul is intentionally using all of this language, the same language they would use for Caesar, he's using it of Jesus to say that there is another reality that you have the privilege of living into. The culture around you has a promise that there is a savior, a functional savior for you. And the question on the table is where are you looking for a savior? Where do you look? Because the call of the follower of Jesus is to focus our trust and our hope on Jesus who is making all things, all things new. So right now, what is it? It's the invitation to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus and do what he did with the confidence and the hope that he is making all things new in this life and the one to come. And that there's something better to serve than my own appetites. I'm not just an animal that when I have an itch, I have to scratch it. I have the the power of the Spirit of God. If, If Jesus could be raised from the dead with that same power, then you can guarantee he can have the power to transform your life. So let me, let me end with this because I think it's where it leaves our hearts. This is David Brenner kind of capturing the struggle I think we're in. St. Ignatius of Loyola notes that sin, this desire to live life our own way, is an unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Until I am absolutely convinced of this, I will do everything I can to keep my hands on the controls of my life because I think I know better than God what I need for my fulfillment. This is the tension of the path to walk in the Spirit and with the Spirit, to walk and to set our mind on earthly things. There's a field that is right in front of us, a treasure to be discovered. And, and the struggle is, man, is, is God really that good? Could what he want for you be better than what you want for yourself? And that's easy to say out here, but what about when we start talking about the thing that you're holding out of the water? What about that thing? Here's how Dallas Willard summarizes this space. The condition of life sought for by human beings, as in you and I, the things that we're seeking for, seeking after. The condition of life sought for by human beings through the ages is attained in the quietly transforming friendship of Jesus. Friends, there is a God who loves you, who has given up everything so that you can be known, and loved, and saved, and forgiven, and made new. And the invitation is to trust in him, to receive the gift of God's grace. Now, you you don't earn it, you don't deserve it, you don't maintain it, you you don't have to work for it. But out of the space of receiving and being overwhelmed by this incredible treasure that you found in the field, that you that you attained of no 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 effort of your own, it was an accident. Wow. 
And from that space, out of gratitude and out of love, you begin to lean into all that that treasure has to offer. Life in Jesus, formation in Jesus, character development in Jesus, Jesus' way over my marriage, over my singleness, over my identity, over my career, over my relationships, over my hobbies, over my parenting, over my mental thought life, over my anxiety, over my depression. is Jesus and his kingdom and his way over those things. So here's the invitation. As we look at next steps today, the band is going to lead us in, some, in two very powerful songs that I think will aid us in going back to the field and digging up that treasure again. So let the songs do the work. Let them be prayers in your heart and mind. Let them lead to spaces of confession and repentance and surrender and gratitude wherever God is leading you today. Here's the first question. I have a question for you, and then I have one challenge for you. Number one, if we were to do honest baptisms next week, what are you holding out of the water? What is it that you're placing trust and weight in? And is it possible that Jesus has something better for you? Is it possible that by letting go of that thing or those things, that you find something worth losing everything for. I just invite you to process that with God this morning. And the challenge today is like Paul would say, one thing. I, I want to be someone who is known for one thing. Life in Jesus and how it touches every other aspect of my life. The one thing. So, what would it look like this week for you and I to create space to stumble over Jesus every day? To go back to the field, to discover the treasure, to let it grip your heart in a new and fresh way. To take that check out of our pocket and to start cashing it for life that is with Jesus. Now listen, friends, if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, today has been an invitation around focusing our hearts and minds on life in Jesus. And if you have never made a decision to trust in Jesus, who he said he is, what he said he can do in your life, then the invitation is to receive that gift. He's already written a check for you with his life to save you, forgive you, set you free, give you new life. You just have to receive it. So wherever you are today, there's going to be a prayer team in the back, and you're welcome at any point in time to go back there. They'd love to receive you in prayer, pray over anything and everything that you might be walking through, pray for somebody else, pray over the spaces of reigniting the passion around this amazing treasure that you found and you want that again, or maybe over the areas of struggle and surrender and help that you need from the Spirit in your life. Wherever it is, they're there to serve you. They're also there to help you take some next steps. Maybe you're in the room and you're a follower of Jesus and you've never actually been baptized. Baptism is a public demonstration of what Jesus has already done on the inside. And so the invitation for you is if you have never been baptized and you've made a decision to trust in Jesus, to then go public and celebrate that reality. When you go under the water and you come back up, it's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 
and how the old you is dead and Jesus has made you new. And so you can let us know about any of those decisions on that connection card, but I'm going to pray for us. And then the band's going to lead us in some songs. God, thank you so much for our friends in the room. Thank you for the space that they have created to stumble over this treasure once again. This invitation into a quiet relationship with you that changes everything about us from the inside out to the deepest parts of who we are, where we find our identity, where we find fulfillment, where we find success. May we find it in you. For my friends in the room this morning who are not followers of you, would today be the day in their hearts and their minds where they stumble across this treasure, this God who loves them, this God who has made a way for them to be forgiven of sin, to be made completely new, to be adopted into the family of God, to be given power and a new life. Would today be the day that they make, decision, make the decision to leave everything and choose you. For those of us that are followers of Jesus in the room, would you help us to genuinely evaluate and honestly evaluate the things that we hold out of the water? And maybe it changes. Maybe each day in its own problems presents something else, something new that we try to hold out of the water. Would you bring our hearts to a place where we can truly trust in you and your desire for our deepest happiness? Lastly, would you give us the discipline this week, the practice this week, to stumble upon the treasure found in you daily? to prioritize the time to get alone with you, to open the scriptures, to let your truth reshape our minds and get into our hearts and change the way that we look at the world around us, the way that we interact with our neighbors, friends, coworkers, and enemies, the way that we relate to you throughout our day as we become people of love. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed in this moment, I just want to give us a moment to listen. Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to say to us? Holy Spirit, what do you want, to, what do you want us to do? Holy Spirit, who do you want us to share this good news with? That we wouldn't keep this treasure to ourselves. As we worship and as we sing, Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Would we have an encounter with you to where we leave different than we showed up? It's in Jesus' name, amen.